0: Well, good morning, everybody. It is so great to be with you here today. And if this is your very first time to join in on one of the One Chapel online services or during the series that we're doing, you're probably asking yourself the question, what in the world is this pastor doing in wearing a cheesy Hawaiian shirt? Well, there's two reasons for that. First is because at my house, we've been doing these dinners around the world. My oldest daughter came back during this kind of stay-at-home time, has been working out of our house. And she came up with the idea that since we can't go anywhere, we might as well do some fun things at home. And so we decided to choose different parts of the world and do dinners around that. And so we would make food from that area and we would do a drink from that area. And, and then we would play music from the area while we were cooking and then eating together. And then after dinner, dinner. We'd all sit down as a family and watch a movie from that part of the world. And one of those areas that we did was Hawaii, thus the Hawaiian shirt and all the Hawaiian paraphernalia. But the second reason why I'm dressed like this is because we've been doing the series that we've called From Here to There. And I'm dressed like this to illustrate this point that for a lot of us, we tend to go through life with the mindset of a tourist. And if you have the mindset of a tourist, then everything is about having fun and all the pleasure that you can get out of life. I mean, think about how you are when you go on a vacation, wherever that is in the world. Because when we go on vacation, we tend to spend our money differently, we interact with people differently, we spend our time differently when we are being a tourist and we're on vacation. But not only do we tend to go through life with the mindset of a tourist, a lot of us tend to go through life with the mindset of a citizen of this world. And if you have the mindset of a citizen, then you're gonna end up living this life as if this world is your home. And so you're gonna to look to your surroundings to find security and some sort of sense of normalcy. And as a result, you're gonna hold on to things tightly and you're gonna hold on to people tightly. But look at what the Apostle Peter said about all of this in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11. He says, friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourself cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Now, look what the, the Apostle Peter's saying here, because it said, he's saying if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then we have to live our lives differently than everybody else around us, because this world is not our home. And so that's why we're not to have the mindset of a citizen of this world where we're holding tightly to the things of this world and trying to find our security from this world. And we're also. Also not to have a mindset of the tourists where we're just trying to make ourselves cozy in this world. But the example that God gives us for following after him, the example that God gives us for living our life here on this earth, the example that God gives us from going from here to there is that of a pilgrim where we recognize that this world is not our home where we recognize that this environment, it's only temporary. We're not a human being who's trying to have temporary spiritual experiences, but you are a spiritual being, and this is simply a temporary human experience that you're having. But while you're here, there's still a greater purpose that we are to fulfill. The problem, though, for so many of us is that we still see this world as our home. And so instead of living our lives as pilgrims, going from here to there, we tend to keep falling back into this mentality of a citizen of the world or that of a tourist. And so the question becomes, well, then how? How do we do this? How do we actually live our lives as pilgrims? Well, interestingly enough, tucked away in the book of Psalms is this old dog-eared songbook, and that old songbook is called in Hebrew, the Shir Ma Allah, which is translated into our English language as the Songs of Ascents. These are the songs that are the Psalms numbered 120 through 134 in the book of Psalms. And the literal translation for these Songs of Ascents are songs that are sung on a journey to a higher place. Historically speaking, these 15 songs were actually sung by these Hebrew pilgrims as they were making their way up to Jerusalem three times a year for the great worship festivals. And interestingly enough, it's in these 15 songs that we find a roadmap for our journey through life as pilgrims. And so over the last several weeks, we've been looking at these different songs. And so this morning, we're going to look at the seventh song. So if you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Psalms chapter 126 is where we are. It says this, it seemed like a dream, too good to be true when God returned Zion's exiles. We laughed, we sang, we couldn't believe our good fortune. We were the talk of the nations. God was wonderful to them. God was wonderful to us. We are one happy people. And now God, do it again. Bring rains to our drought-stricken lives so those who planted their crops in despair will shout hurrahs at the harvest so those who went off with heavy hearts will come home laughing with armloads of blessing. Ellen Glasgow in her autobiography called The Woman Within, she described her father as a Presbyterian elder who was entirely unselfish and in his long life, he never committed a pleasure. Peter Jay, who writes a political column in the Baltimore Sun, he describes the sober intensity of one of Maryland's politicians this way. He wrote, he acts like a Presbyterian. (laughs) I have to laugh about this because I know there are so-called Christians who never crack a smile and they can't ever enjoy a good joke. And I'm not poking fun at just Presbyterians because the reality is that Methodists, Methodists and Catholics and Baptists and Pentecostals and Charismatics, we probably all contribute to that quota. But I want you to know, everybody, that that's not how God wants us to be. It really is a lie from the pit of a hell that makes you think that that if you're Christian, that you can't be happy. And if you're a Christian, you can't have fun. And so on this journey from here to there, one of the greatest discoveries that you're gonna find is just how much enjoyment there actually is and how much laughter you can join in on and how much sheer fun you can actually have. Phyllis McGinley in her book called Saint Watching, she writes a story Um, involving Martin Luther, and so she writes this. She says, Martin Luther's close friend was Philip Melinkton, author of the Augsburg Confession. Melinkton was a cool man, a scholar, as opposed to a doer, and he continued to live like a pious monk even after he had joined the German Reformation. One day, Luther lost his patience with Melinkton's virtuous reserve. "'For heaven's sake,' he roared, "'why don't you go out and sin a little?' God deserves to have something to forgive you for. You know, I wonder how many people actually think that fun is connected to sinning and that being a Christian is connected with boredom and being piously stoic. But listen, everybody, that's not true discipleship. Look at verse two. It says, we laughed, we sang, we couldn't believe our good fortune. See, joy is a characteristic of a Christian's pilgrimage. And on this journey from here to there, joy is a characteristic of those who've been genuinely touched by the reality of a living God, because joy is the essence of what God God promised that the Messiah would bring into our lives. Look at this in Isaiah chapter 61. This is one of the passages in the Old Testament that prophesied the coming of the Messiah and all that he would do in our lives and what he would accomplish here. And it says this, "'The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me "'because the Lord has anointed me "'to preach good news to the poor. "'He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, "'to proclaim freedom for the captives "'and release from darkness for the prisoners, "'to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor "'and the day of vengeance of our God, "'to comfort all who mourn, and "'provide for those who grieve in Zion.'" to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Now I want you to notice all of the words here that are used to describe this joy that the Messiah was to bring into our lives. Bind up, freedom, release, favor, comfort, beauty, gladness, praise. These are all things that God promised that the Messiah would bring into our lives. And then jump forward to the New Testament in Galatians chapter five. And here the apostle Paul, he's just listing the fruits or the essence of the spirit of God at work in our lives. And he describes it this way, Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In other words, these nine things, these are things that we're supposed to see in our lives. If we're genuinely a follower of Jesus and the spirit of God resides in us, and these are things that we're supposed to see in our lives. These are things that show us the reality or the lack thereof of God working in our lives. And notice that the second fruit, the second evidence is what? It's joy which means joy is something that God wants to infuse into your life. Now, the Webster's Dictionary defines joy this way. The emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires, a state of happiness or felicity, a source or cause of delight. Now, when you look at that definition of joy, it really is the essence of what joy is to a tourist or to a citizen. Because for a tourist, for a citizen, joy is dependent upon our environment. Joy is dependent upon things going our way. Joy is dependent upon the absence of pain, the absence of suffering, the absence of loss. In other words, Joy is the emotion evoked by well-being, success, good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. Which means for the tourist or for the citizen, if you don't have well-being, success, good fortune, if you don't possess what you desire, then you're not going to have joy. Why? Because joy is dependent upon those external circumstances giving you that positive emotion. But for the Christian pilgrim, joy is not contingent upon you having happy situations and that everything works your way. Joy is actually an outgrowth of God working in our lives. Are you seeing the difference here? I think all you have to do is look at the enormous entertainment industry in America today to realize that there's a depletion of true joy in our culture because as a society, we're just incredibly bored. I think we're kind of like this gluttonous king employing the court jester to divert our attention after an overindulgent meal. And I think this whole coronavirus is just exposing how true this really is for so many of us. Because when we run out of money, when we can't go out to eat in restaurants, when you can't go to a movie, when you can't go to a sporting event, when a coronavirus hits the world and we have to stay home in place, when Governor Abbott says one thing about how we're to move forward as a state and then Mayor Adler says a whole different thing when it feels like this whole pandemic is one step forward, two steps back, when it's Mother's Day and you can't be with your mom or you can't be with your kids, I think that's when this kind of joy just trickles away. Why? Because That kind of joy never penetrates our lives. That kind of joy never changes our basic condition. And the effects of that kind of joy are just extremely temporary a few minutes, a few hours, maybe a few days at most. But anything and everything can take that type of joy away. Because the reality is, we can't make ourselves joyful. Joy cannot be commanded, or purchased, or arranged. But here in Psalms 126, it shows us how true joy is to be experienced. And the foundational sentence in this psalm is verse three. It says, we are one happy people. Now I want you to notice that the sentence is in the present tense. We are. But surrounding the sentence are words that are in the past tense and words that are in the future tense. Verse one. When God returned Zion's exiles, we laughed, we sang, we couldn't believe our good fortune. We were the talk of the nations. God was wonderful to them. God was wonderful to us. Did you see it? These are all in the past tense, things that God did in their lives in the past. But then look at verse four. It says, and now God do it again. Bring rains to our drought-stricken lives so those who planted their crops in despair will shout hurrahs. At the harvest, those who went off with heavy hearts will come home laughing with armloads, a blessing. Did you see this? This is all future tense, things that they were looking forward to God doing in the future. And so, to a pilgrim, everybody, I want you to listen to this. To a pilgrim, present joy has a past and a future. Did you hear me? Present joy has a past and a future. But for the tourist or for the citizen, present joy has absolutely nothing to do with the past or the future. It's all dependent upon right here and right now, that momentary feeling, that spurt of good emotion that comes when the weather is just perfect and the stock market is high. But to the pilgrim, present joy is founded in the reality of past experiences of God's faithfulness and an eternal perspective of God's continual faithfulness and so for the Hebrew pilgrim who was singing these songs this this background for joy triggered vast memories because they remembered God's faithfulness in de- delivering them in a miraculous way their ancestors from Egypt after being under the harsh taskmaster's whip for 430 years they Remember God's faithfulness to David when the Philistines sought to completely annihilate the entire nation of Israel. They remember God's faithfulness to them during the Babylonian captivity and then their return to Israel. To so each of these acts of God, it was an impossible miracle. There was no way that it could happen. But then it did. Verse one, it seemed like a dream too good to be true. Listen, everybody, true joy has a history. And so let me ask you a question. Have you seen God's faithfulness to you in the past? Have you seen God bring you through something? Have you seen God God's healing or his provision or his, distru- his direction to you in the past? See, our present joy is nurtured and sustained by past Memories of joy. And I just think this is especially true when your current situation stinks. But not only that, because present joy is also nurtured and sustained by joyful expectation. Look at this in verse four. It says, and now God do it again. Bring rains to our drought-stricken lives. So those who planted their crops in despair will shout hurrahs at the harvest. So those who went off with heavy hearts will come home laughing with armloads of blessing." See, just as our present joy builds on the past, it also borrows from the future. And I want you to notice the two images that the psalmist gives her to show us that future hope. The first image comes in verse four. It says, it brings rains to our drought-stricken lives. The image here is that of the Negev, which is this vast desert in the southern part of Israel. And for most of the year, the land is baked dry under the intensity of the sun. But when a rain comes, all of a sudden, the desert just starts blooming, becomes a blaze with with blossoms. Interesting, because several of us, we went to Israel this past January and we were right there in part of the Negev and we saw just how barren it was. But what was interesting is our tour guide just kept saying, how lush it was because they'd had a whole bunch of rain. And so it was true that it looked green in a lot of places and there are blossoms everywhere. And that's the picture that he's painting here. And so the image that the psalmist is giving us is that our lives can be just like that. Our lives can become like a drought stricken desert. And then suddenly the rain comes and our lives are interrupted by God's invasion of grace. In Ezekiel chapter 36, it gives a great picture. It's, there's a historical perspective to this and what God did with the nation of Israel, but also prophetic sense of what God wants to do in our lives. And it says this, this is what the sovereign Lord says. on the day I cleanse you from all your sins, I will resettle your towns and the ruins will be rebuilt. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass through it. They will say, this land that was laid waste has become like the garden of, Of Eden. It's a picture of what God wants to do in our lives. True joy believes in that eternal perspective that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that what he's done in the past, he'll do again. And even though there might be desolation, barrenness in your life right now, true joy holds on to that eternal perspective that God's not done. He's not, he's not finished yet. The second image comes from verse five and six, which says, Those who planted their crops in despair will shout hurrahs at the harvest. So those who went off with heavy hearts will come home laughing with armloads, a blessing. Now, do any of you like to garden? It's, it's hard work, right? For all of you who garden out there where there's just a small little thing or these large plots of gardening, it's a lot of work to till the soil and to plant the seeds and to water and fertilize it and keep all the weeds out. But the reason why people garden is because of the anticipation and the expectation for a harvest. Listen, everybody, life is the same way. And a lot of times, life just doesn't make sense. A lot of times, life, it's hard work, and it just feels like no good can come out of this. But when we live our lives for God, when we have that perspective that, that we need to sow those seeds with, that etern- with eternity in mind, when that becomes how we move forward in life then we can have the confidence that God will bring a crop of joy out of those seeds that we have planted. Isaiah 55 really describes this God's faithfulness to us. And it says this, as the rains and the snow come down from heaven, And do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands Instead of the thorn bush, will grow the pine tree. Instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign, which will not be destroyed. For the Christian pilgrim, you hold on to that eternal perspective that even though you don't see it now, that harvest will come. And when you look at Psalms 126, I mean, it's clear. It's clear that the one who wrote the song and those who sang the song, they were no strangers to the dark side of life. I mean, they carried the painful memory of exile in their bones and the scars of oppression on their backs. They knew the deserts of broken hearts. They knew the nights of weeping. They knew what it meant to sow in tears. And I just think this is really, really, really important for all of us to understand, because I think a common but completely futile strategy for for trying to achieve joy in our life is where we are trying to eliminate things that hurt us. Come on, you you know what I'm talking about, where... We're trying to get rid of pain, and we do that through medication. We try to get rid of insecurity by eliminating risk. We try to get rid of disappointments by depersonalizing our relationships. We, we try to get rid of the boredom in our lives through all forms of entertainment and vacation, all for this purpose so that we can have just a little bit of joy, some way, somehow. We can have just a little bit of joy to our life. But listen, I want you, I want you to see this here from um, Psalms 126, because there's not a hint of that at all in this song. And I just think this is one of the most interesting and remarkable things for us as Christian pilgrims that we need to learn that Christian joy doesn't exclude weeping. Christian joy isn't it an escape from sorrow, pain, and hardship, boy, they are going to come. But you cannot drive out true joy from a Christian pilgrim because true joy doesn't come from our surroundings. True joy comes from God working within us. It's the essence of what the Apostle Paul was talking to the believers in the church of Rome. Look at this in Romans chapter 5, verse three. He writes this. He said, not only so, but we also rejoice And our sufferings, can you imagine? Because we know that our sufferings produce perseverance, perseverance and character, and character hope and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Verse 11, not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The apostle Paul understood life from the perspective of eternity. That's why will say we able to say where we even rejoice in our suffering. It's the fulfillment really of the prayer in Psalms 126, verse four, which says, and now God do it again. Bring rains to our drought stricken lives. And then look at the last verse of this song, verse six. So those who went off with heavy hearts will come home laughing with armloads, a blessing. This actually was the Apostle Paul's same conclusion. While he was sitting in his prison cell about to be be beheaded, listen to the words that he writes in Philippians chapter four, verse four. It says, celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. Help them see that the master is about to arrive. He could show up any minute. Look at this. There's there's no pious stoicism in Paul's voice here. In spite of the fact that Paul was sitting in a prison cell about to be beheaded There's no pious stoicism at all in this. This is genuine present joy, joy that was grounded in a past and joy that was grounded in that eternal perspective that this world was not his home and he was looking forward to a God-filled future. Listen, everybody, when you build your life on that foundation, you can think and act and respond differently than that of a tourist and, of a, and a, of a citizen. Even in the midst of uncertainty, and the mounting disappointments that's happening because of this coronavirus that's all over our, our world today, you can think and act and respond differently than a tourist or a citizen because joy, your joy, is built on that foundation. In the third century, there was this man, who's anticipating his death. And he penned these last words to his friends. I want you to listen to these words. Listen to what he wrote. He said, it's a bad world, an incredibly bad world. But I've discovered in the midst of it, a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy, which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but..." They care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians, and I am one of them. Let me ask you a question here today. Because are you? Are you a Christian pilgrim? Are you a Christian pilgrim who has joy no matter the situation that you're in? Have you found this joy that is a thousand times better than any pleasure of your sinful life? Listen, on this journey from here to there, God wants you to have joy. As a matter of fact, he has joy that he wants to give you. I want to pray for you here in our last moments here together. And so wherever you are, would you just pause? Just stop what you're doing in that room that you're in. And maybe even close your eyes and maybe even just put your hands out in front of you because I don't want you to think about anybody else because I think God wants to do something right there in your heart, right there in what's going on in your head and your thinking and all your emotions that are all over the place. Because maybe this morning, you're realizing that you've allowed the cares of this world to steal your joy. Maybe this morning, you're realizing that the situations that you're in, you've allowed that to steal your joy. You've allowed the ups and downs of the stock market to steal your joy. You've allowed this whole coronavirus to steal your joy. Maybe you've gotten your eyes off of God's faithfulness to you in the past. You've forgotten how God has taken care of you time and time and time again. Maybe you've lost the eternal perspective of God's faithfulness to you. You've lost that eternal perspective perspective that you're not a human being who's trying to have these temporary spiritual experiences, but you're a spiritual being. And this is simply a temporary human experience that you're having. You've lost that eternal perspective that this world is not your home, but that heaven is your home. Maybe you've fallen back into that mindset of a citizen and the mindset of a tourist in this pandemic, all that it's doing and why it's so uncomfortable for you is that it's exposing the reality of that. That's what's going on inside of you. I want to pray for you right here, right now. And so father, I pray for my friends here, wherever they are, whatever's going on inside of them, Lord, I pray that you would move in that room that they're in right here and right now that Holy Spirit, you would blow into their mind and their emotions That you would fill them afresh and anew with all of who you are. Fill them with the fruit, the evidence of your power working in them. Love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and self-control. God, that you would move mightily inside of them and especially here today that you would move and give them more and greater joy inside of them, a joy that's not dependent upon the environment that are around them, a joy that's contagious, a joy that doesn't come and go, but a joy that settles them as well as just causes them to the smile every day of their life. Holy Spirit, would you come and just fill each person today afresh and anew. And Lord, I pray for everyone right here that we would make a renewed decision to follow you, Uh, to let go of the mindset of a citizen, let go of the mindset of a tourist and to really be a pilgrim, to follow you, to let go of all these other things. Lord, I pray for a deepening of that for every single one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you've never committed yourself to following Jesus wholeheartedly, we wanna step into that journey with you. And if you're making that decision, for the first time, or for the first time in a long time, would you do something for me? Would you simply text OC Decision to 97000? That's OC Decision to 97000 because we want to walk with you on this. We were never created in a way to take this journey by ourselves and we want to help you with these next steps and come alongside you in these next steps. And so just text OC decision to 97000. And then lastly everybody, I got some great news for all of us. Today instead of meeting in our Zoom lobbies after our service which we have started doing online, instead of doing that here today, we're we're not going to meet in our Zoom lobbies. I want to invite you to visit any of our one chapel campuses if you live in the area come to the campus that you go to if you've never been to a one chapel campus pick the one that's closest to you because today it's mother's day and so what we're doing is that we're having these drive-through photo booth celebrations where you can take a picture with your mom or for your mom or for the moms in your life i just think this is a mother's day like no other and so I think it's a great opportunity to memorialize this day in history with a picture. And so at every campus, we plan some fun things where you can drive in. We have props that we're gonna put by your, by your, your car and we'll have photographers there that will take your pictures. And moms, don't forget, we have a gift for you that we make sure we we give to you, on, as you as you drive through. And so just get the family ready, get yourself ready, get in your car, we want everybody to come. All the staff is gonna be there at the campuses from 1230 to two o'clock today. Dress up in your Sunday bed or wear your mask or whatever you wanna do. We're gonna have fun taking pictures and it'll be great to see everybody there. Again, it's 12.30 to two o'clock. Get ready, head on down to your One Chapel campus. As we finish here today, let me just pray and speak this blessing over you. If you know it by heart, you can just declare it there in your room that you're in. Say it with me. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace, everyone. Have a great day.